You are listening to Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you would like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. Well, if you want to get a bit of a head start, you can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. That'll set you up well. 2 Timothy chapter 2. This whole series is entitled uh, Follow Jesus, and it, it quite honestly is kind of taking a step back. It's, it's a moment to just step back and think about who is Jesus and what does he want for my life. You may notice the, the picture on the background of the title of the, the sermon and stuff was kind of this mountain range. It's actually a local uh, set of mountains that are up in the whites. Uh, and, uh, you know, when you, when you go on a trip like that, maybe, maybe you've gone for the first time and you need somebody to kind of help you with that, right? You, you get maybe a guide and that guide's gonna help you like know what to pack, or what kind of gear you need, uh, what things to be prepare, prepared for physically, right? They're there to make sure your trip is successful. Uh, a few years ago, it was actually right, at the, right near the beginning of COVID, and uh, there, there was, uh, of course, everything was kind of shut down, but thankfully, you know, nature wasn't shut down at that, that time, so there was still an opportunity to, like, go and camp and hike and do all these things, and I had this idea that I wanted to take a group of young adults and go to the Boundary Waters up in northern Minnesota, so for those of you who don't know, I lived in Illinois at the time, and so just a short drive up into northern Minnesota, and the Boundary Waters are this place where there's all these different lakes, small and, and big ones, and, and they're kind of connected with these little bits of land and so you go out with your canoe and your pack and all that and you, and you go on the lakes and then you carry your gear across the land into the next lake and you make this, uh, you know, this big trip that way. So I had, a, I had a group of young adults and we needed to kind of step out and take this like pioneer trip because I wanted to see, okay, what's the skill level that we're dealing with? If I just invite, you know, a bunch of 20-somethings on a trip like this, what would their experience be like? So I started with just a couple of the guys that I knew. And I said, hey, would you guys like to go on this trip? We'll make, it's the, all, the, all the, everything's covered for you. We'll make sure you have gear. We'll take care of that. And they said, yeah. So I began to prepare them for this trip. I said, here's some of the gear you're gonna need to provide. Here's what I'll provide for us. Um, and here's kind of the route we're gonna take. And, and here's what we need to be ready for. And we just walked through the trip and, and we worked for weeks of just getting ready for that trip. Now, we, we got everything all together, we got loaded in, we got headed up into Minnesota, we got to where we're going, we got our canoes, we got everything we needed, and we set out that next morning, and, and we started going, and it was a great morning. Water was beautiful, blue skies, perfect weather. And well then we got to our first portage, and, and we, you know, we're unloading all our gear, getting it all off, and I noticed one of the guys, I hadn't noticed it before, but he's wearing flip-flops. Now, now, one of the things I was like adamantly clear about was please don't wear sandals or flip-flops. Wear water shoes, sandals that like strap to your feet, okay? And I was like, hey, bud, I, I was pretty clear. No sandals. He was like, I know. And that was it. That was the explanation. Okay, so this is helpful for me. All right, this is helpful. Okay, this is the level that we're dealing with. Okay, and, and of course we go along. Why was it so important? Because as he goes along, can he carry anything now? Nope. Carry like one of the bags maybe. 
Because along the way, there's mud, there's dirt, there's all kinds of stuff. He's lo- eventually, he ends up, I think, losing one of the flip-flops along the way, right? So he's like, it was just frustrating, right? <laughs> right? But, but it, you know, the, the reason you have a guide is to help you be successful at the trip, to help you know what to expect. You know, in, in a very similar way, is it not true in our Christian walk? We have a guide right in front of us. We've been given the instructions on how to live a life the way we were designed to, the way that provides success, and yet we do our own thing ultimately to our own demise. You know, the reality is we do this often. We we all do. Like we all get to these points where we just, let me just charge ahead. And when I need you, Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I involve you. But have you ever gotten to the point where you just finally feel so overwhelmed? Even the, the testimony that Jordan just shared at that point where you just come and you, there, you, there's, there's immense fatigue and you don't know where else to go. Maybe there's circumstantial concerns, relationships ending, whatever the challenge might be and you find yourself just overwhelmed. And as we've already clearly answered but the question that we need to ask is, when, what if there was something we could do to settle our hearts, to settle our minds, that would help us even in the midst of all the things that come our way and that can often overwhelm us? If you followed our social medias at all, I introduced this series uh, this way and I wanted to share it with you. It says at the beginning of Hebrews 3, it challenges those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus to take a good, hard look at who Jesus is. Why? Because he, the person of Jesus, is the centerpiece of everything we believe. And so over the next five weeks, we will be taking a fresh look at Christ and the way he intends us to live our lives. The central passage to this series is found in some of the final words Paul shared with young Timothy. And it's what we're gonna be looking at this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse eight, where Paul shares these important instructions. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. By remembering the person of Jesus, we find the deepest answers to suffering, joy, life purpose, financial pressures, parenting, worship, community, prayer, depression, anxiety, worry, pride, anger, identity, sickness, health, death, singleness, marriage, conflict, and all the other issues we face today and tomorrow. And my prayer is that we would all be encouraged to look at Jesus Christ And through beholding him, we will be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so this morning, we're gonna start with this foundational passage in 2 Timothy 2.8. Because in order to follow Jesus, in order for us to know what does it look like to follow Jesus, we need to know who we're following. And by taking the word of God and learning about the person of Jesus Christ, we're able to do this. So if you haven't already, hopefully you're in 2 Timothy 2.8, and I'm gonna read it again. We're gonna, you're gonna hear me read this passage. It's a simple one, but one that I, I want us to even almost have probably memorized in our minds as we leave. 2 Timothy 2.8, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. You know, I love last words 
you learn a lot about what is most important in last words. And what do I mean by last words? Maybe that's a statement of those who are retiring. Maybe they're stepping down from a position of authority. It's their, their final words, right? It's words of encouragement at a graduation or encouragement from those who speak at a wedding or that final charge given to our military personnel before they execute their mission, right? It's the details that are most important. Here are the things I want you to hear. Final words tell us what the most important matters really are. They can often center us back to what is most crucial in life. And many of us may have found ourselves along life's path and we've had these moments, these moments where we've heard these last words, they've challenged us, they've kind of recentered us. And here in 2 Timothy, we have found some of Paul's last words to Timothy before Paul dies. 2 Timothy is, in fact, it's filled with several of these personal instructions. There's a, if you compare 1 Timothy to 2 Timothy, right? Two different letters to Timothy. 1 Timothy is mainly very instructional and, and there's some warnings in there as well. But, but right here in 2 Timothy, we have kind of these like, it's very personal towards Timothy. And, and it's not that, that Timothy here is new to Paul, right? Timothy has worked alongside Paul some would say that he was the protege of Paul. To help you, uh, those of you that are Star Wars fans, that's like a Jedi Knight or Master's Padawan, okay? Same thing, right? Timothy's the Padawan, Paul's the Jedi, okay, you got it, all right. Um, but Paul shares a handful of these important last instructions. Here are my final words before I am dead. He says in 2 Timothy 1.6, rekindle the gift of God that is within you. 2 Timothy 1.8, do not be ashamed then of testifying to our Lord. 2 Timothy 2.3, take your share of suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 2.1, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 2.7, think over what I say. And then also reflect on who Timothy was to Paul in the way Paul would describe Timothy. Paul spoke very, very highly of him, using phrases like he was a fellow worker, he was a brother, a bondservant, he was loved and a faithful child in the Lord. He called him his son, called him a co-equal in the Lord's work. So I think the natural question that, that I have asked myself coming to this particular passage, and I'm, I, I almost wonder if Timothy was asking the same question, why? Timothy, this upright, knowledgeable, skilled, and faithful friend of Paul, who had traveled with him on a missionary journey, had become a leader in the church, knew the scriptures and Jesus Christ, why did he need this instruction from Paul? It seems so simple. Remember Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Why did Timothy, someone who apparently knew what he was doing, why does Paul take the time in his final words to make space for this challenge? And it's because Paul knew by experience that suffering enhances our natural inclination to drift from remembering the basics of what we are to treasure most of all in this life. We, we see throughout 2 Timothy these, this, these, the words suffer and suffering and some encouragement that, that Paul brings, that he's experiencing himself and he knows Timothy has and will continue to face because of what he is doing, because of his mission. And so he tells them throughout 2 Timothy, he says, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. 
share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, for which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal, Paul says, but the word of God is not bound. As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. It, it's not at all that, that Timothy had a, had a memory problem or even a sin issue. Paul knew our human frailty and tendency to forget that which is most fundamental to the lives we are living. Church historian Claire Davis describes the Christian life as a combination of amnesia and deja vu. He says, I know I've forgotten this before. In other other words, as we follow Christ, we keep needing to learn the same lessons over and over because we keep forgetting them. And each time it happens, we suddenly remember what we have had to relearn these very same lessons before. For example, when we first come to God confessing that we cannot save ourselves, only Jesus can save us and only by his cross, However, as we follow God, we sometimes try to serve him in our own strength. We suffer from a kind of spiritual amnesia, forgetting that it is only by God's grace that we can do anything good. And when we forget, we fail. But then, in his mercy, God reminds us that we can do all things by the strength of his grace. All of a sudden, we remember that this has happened to us before, and we say, oh yes, I remember now. I can't make it on my own. Only Jesus can save me. So sometimes the Christian life is like a combination of amnesia and deja vu in which we keep learning what we keep forgetting. So this morning, we're going to remember the person of Jesus Christ. If it was important in Paul's final words to take the space and the time to encourage Timothy to remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, then I think it's good for us to take this charge from Paul, this rally cry to us, from whatever has distracted us to that which we have prioritized over Jesus and to come back to that which is most essential. Remember Jesus. So let's start with remember. Paul tells us to remember. This means we are to keep on remembering. This is an active word here. It's not just, oh yeah, thanks for that little reminder. This is, I want you to be active in remembering who Jesus is. It has this sense of fastening ourselves securely, just as a rivet would permanently adhere material. We too are to be securely fastened to the person of Jesus Christ. It's interesting though, in all that, that Paul challenges Timothy on, in fact, if you just look at kind of what Paul challenges people on in each of his letters, it's interesting in these final words that he doesn't charge Timothy to adhere himself, press in to his worldview, his philosophy, his theological viewpoint, or even his doctrine. It doesn't mean that these things are unimportant. In fact, you're gonna see that we're gonna argue that they are, but if we miss the person of Jesus Christ in the midst of our pursuit of deeper understanding and knowledge, at our best, our priorities are misaligned. At the worst, we have abandoned the person of Jesus altogether. We've abandoned the necessity of Jesus altogether. So to get personal, because 
It got personal with me as I began to reflect on this passage, and I believe it was personal to Timothy as Paul shares these words. What are you known for? When you read the writings of Paul in Scripture, while he deals with with doctrine and, and false teaching and how to organize the church and what the church should look like and how we should pursue holiness, you can never walk away and think, well, that's what Paul's all about. You always walk away looking at Paul and saying, he loved the person of Jesus Christ a great deal. So what are we known for? What would our conversations, both private and public, reveal about what is most important to us? This one hurts a little bit more. What would our social media accounts reveal? Do people know more about what we are against? Would find it really hard to find what you're actually for? Some of us, maybe we have the tendency that we've become kind of professional Christians. We've done this for a long time. You know what's expected of you. You know how to respond. You know what to say. You know what not to say. And if you're being honest, you've lost your first love and passion for the person of Jesus Christ. But who, who we need to take a step back and look at who is Timothy actually ministering to? What is his job? Who is he working with? Timothy was ministering to the church in Ephesus, right? And and he's charged there by Paul to deal with false teaching and to teach right doctrine. In 1 Timothy 1.3, Paul says this to Timothy, as I urged you when I was in Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. He goes on, Paul challenges him, he, goes, he names out even two specific teachers, Hymenaeus and Alexander, who had made a shipwreck of their faith by pursuing wrong doctrine. In 1 Timothy 6, 3-4, Paul says, teach and urge these things, that, that is the, the good teachings of our Savior Jesus Christ. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. So so Timothy is charged to teach the church of Ephesus to understand right doctrine and to call out and see false teaching. This is what his job was. How good of a job did he do? Well, we actually have that recorded for us in Revelation chapter two, where Jesus speaks specifically about the church of Ephesus. Revelation two, verse two, Jesus speaking here, he says, I know your works, Ephesus, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. What what encouraging words from, from Jesus in this moment that that what Timothy was charged to do, it seems that they accomplished it. They were aware of what pursuing God looked like. They were aware of how to live a life free from sin. They were aware how to pursue godliness. And yet, verse four, but I have this against you. What hard words to come from God. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. They had abandoned their love for the person of Jesus Christ. 
The knowledge they gained distracted them from the person of Jesus rather than causing an overflow of amazement in the person of Jesus Christ, which our study and understanding and growth in knowledge of Scripture should drive us to be more amazed at who Jesus is and humble us more in our need for that Savior. He finishes his charge to Ephesus here and says, remember therefore from where you've fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. For some of us, it would be good for us to go back to remember the simple reality of what it was like when you first encountered Jesus when you were first met with the reality of what the gospel was all about. When you first realized that God is holy and that you're a sinner and that God in his mercy sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins and that he rose from the grave so that you could have eternal life life. Do you remember the simplicity of Jesus? It's a great children's song. I'm not going to sing it for you, but it's going to be familiar. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Remember Jesus Christ. We'll reflect more on Jesus at the end of this message. But I leave us with thinking, have I forgotten the simplicity of who Jesus is and my need for Jesus? But then also, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. We need to consider the impact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Paul charges Timothy to remember, it's not just a call to remember some great leader who had passed on from this life. In fact, that's exactly the message that that the Roman Empire wanted to have communicated right now, that they had killed the leader of whatever this movement was. It was done. But it wasn't. we might as well line ourselves up with any other religion or belief system or cult or philosophy if all we are doing is following someone who has died. But we're not. It's not a call that that Paul is giving Timothy to remember some great leader who's passed on from this life. The focus was on Jesus who had risen from the grave, who had been seen, he'd been felt, and he'd been heard from. And it's more of the results of the resurrection that Paul wants us to reflect on, not the fact of the event alone. Because there's many things for us to consider as we think about what is the impact of the resurrection? Why does that matter so much? I want to look at just a few of those as we remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. One, the resurrection of Jesus provides tangible proof that there is another life. In John 14, Jesus shares with his followers, I go and I prepare a place for you. 
I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Later on, it's recorded in John 16. A little while, you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Jesus' existence after death proves that there is another place. There is a place that he is preparing. We spent the last several weeks looking at, right, the new heaven, the new earth. What comes next? And though he is gone now, he has promised to return again. And because he has risen once, we can believe him and trust him in this. His return from the dead is a pledge to us of an existence after death. Number two, the resurrection of Jesus means that his sacrifice was accepted by God the Father. Romans 6.23, for the wages, the payment of our sin is death, eternal separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the new life of Jesus, now that he has risen from the dead, is a life free of legal claim. The legal reality of what we faced in our sin has been satisfied through Christ. And it's the token to us, those that Jesus represents by their faith in him, who are also free from the penalty of sin. Romans 8.33 tells us, who shall bring any charge against God's people? It is God who justifies, who took care of their legal obligation. We only had two options when we came to Jesus and we were met with the reality of who Jesus was and what that meant for our sin. We could either choose Jesus and let his sacrifice be the payment for our sins or we could say, no, thank you, and one day we will pay for the reality of our sins. I love how Charles Spurgeon reflects on this result that because of the resurrection of Jesus, it, it, it means that we are his sacrifice was accepted by God the Father. Charles Spurgeon says this, he says, if Satan therefore shall come to any believer and say, well, what about your sin? Tell him Jesus died for it and my sin is put away. If he comes the second time and says to you, what about your sin? Answer him, Jesus lives and his life is the assurance of my justification that payment was made. Jesus gave himself up for our sins, but he rose again for our justification. We cannot be condemned because Christ has died in our place and risen from the dead. And then also the resurrection of Jesus is the guarantee of his people's resurrection. Romans 8.10, but if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. This is amazing. Our, our faith in Christ unites us with Christ through his payment on our behalf on the cross. And so this releases our eternal fate from being eternally separated from God to being eternally united with him. 
And so even right now, even as our bodies still experience pain and sickness and eventually death, our souls have already been released from the corruption of sin and securely fastened into the family of God. So what does this mean? It means that no longer should we live in fear of what we will face upon our death because Jesus was resurrected from the dead, then all his people must also be raised when he comes again to establish the new heaven and the new earth. And if you want a a deeper dive into what that looks like, I would encourage you to listen to Pastor Jordan's Heaven series. But so right now, we, we live now in light of the freedom we have from the dark reality of what death means without Christ. Because of Christ, we live lives that reflect the priorities of Jesus Because the things of this world we know that no matter how enticing they may be have never and will never change the eternal destination of a person. This is what Jesus has done for us and for all those who will turn from their sin and choose Christ. Spurgeon, again, I think helps us here. He says, some seem to dream that Jesus made some little opening by which we have a slight chance of reaching forgiveness and eternal life if we are diligent for many years. This is not the gospel of Jesus. Jesus has saved his people. He has performed the work entrusted to him. He has finished transgression, made an end to sin, and brought in everlasting righteousness, and whoever believes in him will not be condemned and never can be. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. The final part of this verse reminds us that God keeps his promises and reminds us of the humanity of Jesus which is seen in the phrase, the offspring of David. Prophesied some 700 years before his birth was Isaiah, Jeremiah, Samuel, and along along with others, they made claim to the fact that the savior of the world would be born of a virgin woman in the town of Bethlehem. And the fulfillment of this is recorded for us specifically in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke as well as in Acts and in Hebrews. We have a God who keeps his promises. In this is the Gospel. The message, the gift of Jesus Christ that we proclaim to the world. When Paul makes the claim of my Gospel, he's not claiming ownership as if it originated from him, but instead is claiming the entrustment God has placed in all of us as followers of Jesus to carry this message in both action and in word. So remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Remember Jesus. Are you burdened by your sin? Well, then remember Jesus rose again for your justification. He set you free from the personal payment of your sins. Do you feel Satan accusing you? Oh, remember Jesus rose to be your advocate and intercessor. He goes before you. He defends you before the throne of God. Are you experiencing pain and sickness? Remember the living Jesus will show himself strong on your behalf. You have a living savior and in him you have all things. Do you fear death? Jesus 
and rising again has defeated the last enemy. He will come and meet you when it is your time and be with you even then. And when he comes to establish his forever kingdom, you will be raised up just as he was raised from the dead. If you've not yet turned from your sin to Jesus, this is the Jesus that many of us have run to. This is the Jesus of the Bible. And I would encourage you to run to him because he cares for you. For those of us who are followers of Christ, as we go on with our lives, do not do so in fear. Do not be consumed with the frustration that our world gives us. And instead, live in the reality that Jesus, the Savior of the world, he cares for me. If those of you, have, any of you have been in my office, you would quickly realize I enjoy reading. I enjoy reading a lot. I have multiple books going at any given time, which is probably not healthy, um, because that's the way my mind then goes all over the place. But I think there's a, a helpful way for us to, to conclude our time together. Max Lucado writes in his awesome book, Come Thirsty, which if you just need kind of a step back and just refreshment in who is God, who is Jesus, and what is life all about, I would encourage you uh, to get a copy of Come Thirsty. But he ends the book this way. He says, suppose, suppose Jesus were to write you a letter, which he, he kind of has, right? Right? And, 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 and he, he delivered it to you and you opened it up and, and you read it. And what, what would that sound like? And I, I, Max Lucado does just a good job in kind of summarizing exactly what we have available to us, but in a way that I think helps us connect. And so as we remember Jesus, what if Jesus wrote a letter to you? Maybe it would go something like this. Dear child of mine, are you thirsty? Come and drink. I am one who comforts you. I bought you and complete you. I delight in you and claim you as my own, rejoicing over you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. I will never fail you or forsake you. I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins, yet my grace is sufficient for you. I have cast all your sins behind my back, trampled them under my feet, and thrown them into the depths of the ocean. Your sins have been washed away, swept away like the morning mist, scattered like the clouds. Oh, return to me, for I have paid the price to set you free. Your death is swallowed up in victory. I disarmed the evil rulers and authorities and broke the power of the devil who had the power of death. Blessed are those who die in the Lord. Your citizenship is in heaven. Come inherit the kingdom prepared for you, where I will remove all your sorrows and there will be no more death or sadness or crying or pain. You are worried and troubled about many things. Trust me with all your heart. I know how to rescue godly people from their trials. My spirit helps you in your distress. Let me strengthen you with all my glorious power. I did not spare my son, but gave him up for you. Won't I give you everything else? March on, dear soul, with courage. Never give up. I will help you. I will uphold you. Trust in me always. I am the eternal rock, your shepherd. 
the guardian of your soul. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. So don't worry. I never tire or sleep. I stand beside you. The angel of the Lord encamps around you. I hide you in the shelter of my presence and I will go ahead of you, directing your steps and delighting in every detail of your life. And if you stumble, you will not fall, for I hold you by the hand. I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. Wars will break out near and far, but don't panic. I have overcome the world. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. I surround you with a shield of love. I will make you fruitful in the land of suffering, trading beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, praise for despair. I live with the low-spirited and spirit-crushed. I put new spirit in you and get you on your feet again. Weeping may go on all night, but joy comes with the morning. If I am for you, who can ever be against you? I throw my arms around you, lavish attention on you, and guard you as the apple of my eye. I rejoice over you with great gladness. My thoughts of you cannot be counted. They are outnumbered, the grains of sand. Nothing can ever separate you from my love. Death can't and life can't. The angels can't and the demons can't. Your fears for today, your worries about tomorrow, and even the powers of hell can't keep my love away. You sometimes say, the Lord has deserted me. The Lord has forgotten me. But can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for a child she has born? Even if that were possible, I would not forget you. I paid for you with the precious lifeblood of Christ, my sinless, spotless lamb. No one will snatch you away from me. See, I have written your name on my hand. I call you my friend. Why, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are valuable to me. Give me your burdens. I will take care of you. I know how weak you are, that you are made of dust. So give all your worries and cares to me because I care about what happens to you. Remember, I am at hand. Come to me when you are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I delight in you, and I can be trusted to keep my promises. Come and drink the water of life. Your maker, your friend, Jesus. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. So often we get lost in the busyness of our lives and the busyness of even our pursuit of you that we forget some of the, the simple reality of what it means to remember your son Jesus, what he accomplished by rising from the dead. Reality that he came as human to rescue us from our sins. Lord, for those that don't know you yet, would they turn from their sin and run to you? And would they find a savior as we've described this morning? For those of us that are your followers, your children, thank you for your love. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you that you are a God who is present. And Lord, we thank you most of all for Jesus Christ and for helping us realize our need for Jesus.
And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.